Hello, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are. It's uh, Nazati Muhammad Yaqob again, and um, continuing on the last podcast, which was entitled Building the Design Manifesto, Part 1A, now it's Part 1B. Um, this podcast episode will focus more on architecture education. But we will go back to some theories or some ideas that everyone who had studied or is currently studying architecture would know about this, which is looking back into um, the form and function issue. I'm taking some quotes from gaganine.org. Um, an article on form follows function, and you know, this axiom um, by Louis Sullivan, 1856 to 1924, um, based in Chicago, uh, famous for earlier skyscrapers in steel frame constructions, and Sullivan's famous axiom, form follows function, became the touchstone for many architects, which means the purpose of a building should be the starting point for its design. And um, Frank Lloyd Wright, who worked with Louis Sullivan, extended the teachings of his mentor by changing the phrase to form and function or one. The quotation in this article, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright said, Form follows function that has been misunderstood. Form and function should be one, joined in a spiritual union. As far as I'm concerned, we were taught that way since we were students of architecture um, and that you have to consider both form and function equally. Um, and of course, this goes back to Frank right? obviously, where many people refer to him as one of the grand masters in architecture. Um, I like to think that Louis Sullivan, when he said form follows function at that time, um, he was um, maybe had to deal with the design that has to comply to classical architecture at that time, um, at that period in time where when he he is designing those skyscrapers. He had to still maintain um, the tripartite, you know, a top, middle, and base sort of configuration that is um, always something to do with the classical architecture, neoclassical architecture. And he did it in his uh, skyscrapers, as we recall. Um, and maybe he is thinking that. Um, you can't really go and, um, you know, make so many motifs. Um, the whole skyscraper seems to be like a column with the windows. You know, I think this was the debate with uh, Louis Sullivan where he tried to his, um, come to the compromise that because of the advancement in technology at this time in terms of steel frame construction, the form making should be secondary. Of course, when we 
go forward to Frank Lloyd Wright um, and the Guggenheim Museum uh, in this respect, um, when we talk about the Guggenheim Museum, um, with its ramped corridors, and we, I haven't been to the Guggenheim Museum, so what I'm saying is an assumption that it's not really easy to view art pieces and sculptures when you're on a ramp. It's not, but there, but then I start to think about, you know, when we talk about architecture education, we talk about um, all these teachings, yeah? So I'm taking from that point of view. When we look at Guggenheim Museum and other museums or other ideas that have ramped access, like corridor-like component going into the, the design and how even it's a museum in terms of the building type, which is a museum, right? And, or an art gallery that has to deal with the purpose of viewing art and artifacts and sculptures. <clears throat> One has to be quite stable to appreciate it. If you've been to other museums um, <clears throat> before, which is kind of stable and um, taking into account the floor is flat and taking into account viewing it, sometimes taking um, a longer time to view something. So it's kind of uncomfortable when you're viewing on a ramped access. But then I saw the video tour of Gaganan Museum in New York and um, there is a possibility of going on to uh, a space at the, at the sides that are um, flat rather than the ramped access, because you need to separate between the two, obviously. Um, and, um, <clears throat> well, going back into this, this um, building type that uh, Frank Wright designed, and the idea was his concept is that you go up and you go down. You go up on a, you go on and live up to, Six, seven, seventh floor, and then you come down, and then you exit. As you, you know, come down, you will be able to view all this uh, uh, art and, and museum pieces uh, display. Sorry, um, and um, and is he innovating on a building type? Because that was this what he was trying to do. In, in there was an office building that. Um, the structure, was playing the structure, like mushroom columns and letting in skylight or light up the open uh, plan office. Oh God, it was a lock-in building. What was the other one? I think so it was. And, um, and that's what he does. That's what he did, you know, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright in terms of innovating on building types the office space, the museum, and so on. Um, what about us, who is post Frank Lloyd Wright? Yeah, what about this time, this time and space? Do we actually look into architecture as a generic uh, understanding about building type and how one should innovate and how one, you know, one is allowed to innovate 
obviously, if you're doing a school project, you are encouraged to, to explore the design. And what, where does function play? Is it at the secondary? Is it a, a secondary thing to form? Do we go for form making first and then make sure the function works? Or should we, like what Louis Sullivan earlier, trying to deal with technology of the new skyscraper, looked at function first. He went and designed the lift core and then um, the periphery is basically the office spaces and just have it like a classical column, the whole skyscraper. So do everybody have to design like Louis Sullivan, for example, or do everybody have can design like Frank Wright? So that is things. Frank Wright still insists that it is form and function together, not one is more important than the other. But I kept on thinking in this day and age that um, looking back into architecture education, function seems to be um, a priority, sorry, uh, form seems to be a priority because of the availability of computer-aided design tools. There's a lot going on now. And, and that obviously, depending on which level the student is designing on, or depending on the learning or the instruction or the teaching, that is going on in architecture school, um, the emphasis will be more on function or more on form, depends really, right? Is there a correct method to be doing this, you know, having form and function together? Which goes first really in the design process? Of course, I'm in the, um, in the camp that that focuses on function first because the form can take can take any form so to speak any form of shape anything really and it's the form is serving the function now that means that i'm in the camp of louis sullivan maybe you know uh, rather than both are equally important so who sullivan started it but we kind of like changed it or reacted to what Sullivan said. So building the design manifesto, we need to, to reflect to obviously to, to ideas or concepts that have already been in our mind for a long time since we were in school. And for theory class, we would come across this form follows function Axiom. And later we have those debates, right? Yeah, like less is more, less is more, isn't it? The modernists and the postmodernists and all these other theoretical debates. But I would argue that form should follow function because form is the servant of function, which is the master. In this day and age, you can't really, shall I say, you can have so many um, tools to help you think 
and could even design for you. Presto, al presto. There you have a parametric design, you know, using computer-aided design. There's so many of them, right? The softwares, Rhino and stuff. It's so easy, you know, to conjure something up. And, but of course, is that's the easiest way to do anything. Um, because there's only a bit of input that you can put in and you can come up with something. But to argue with the client that you actually design something critical, if it is needed that you design something critical with a client, you'd have to go and think about universal design, for example, or other things, yeah? You need to think about how to integrate the requirements that the local authority asks you to integrate to make it more accessible or to make it um, be able to be used by everyone. So hence that extra knowledge that you need to have, um, which if you are trained earlier on in degree courses, architecture degree courses, you can master them. Things have changed since Frank Lloyd Wright, I'm sure, in terms of the attitudes and there's collaborative design, designing in a team, project management, getting challenges. Challenges are being posed for the designer to maintain what they conceptualized earlier on to the built form and the many teams that will take over the design and how are you gonna do that? The technicalities in terms of requirements by means of escape and services and structure integration, ingress and egress, and a dozen other things to, to make sure that the building type, whatever building type that you're designing for, gets to be a good design that, you know, that doesn't have problems such as leaking or structural defects, uh, architectural defects and so on. So back to our proposal, building the design manifesto. And in this episode, we're talking about architecture education theories that influence architecture education, such as what we are um, talking about today um, on form follows function. And nobody actually said function follows form ever. I don't think so in terms of people accepting that. Maybe somebody may have said it just to, to argue. But yes, that is what we got from Frank Lott Wright that form and function or should be one or join in a spiritual union. And in the case of the Gaganai Museum, um, it's a building type. So the Gaganai Museum is a building type. Now we're talking about building types, yeah? Museum, transportation is another building type. I don't think that one could follow the Gaganai Museum if you want was to, to do a 
public transportation hub, like a terminal. Um, we've seen um, Eurosarinan's airport. But all in all, the shapes and forms that are a bit about to go in flight, for example, uh, covers an area that is functional. The flexibility part is something else. At that point in time, as, as long as it's functional, it suits the purpose, we're not debating about costs because we're just talking about theory of architecture at this moment. And um, public transportation or airport terminal, bus terminal, uh, railway station, um, those kind of buildings, they function, the functional aspect has to be top priority. Shopping malls, um, there have been shopping malls. I've, I've been in a shopping mall in Tokyo where everything is universal design. The toilets, the, even the agenda for designing the interior spaces and how certain lights, lighting levels, certain directional lights being imposed and even the the um you know commonly for shopping malls that that are commonly designed not universally designed or universal design principles being applied the vertical elements like the walls or the area where the shop fronts are and other areas which are vertical elements are left to the devices of um, you know, it's not controlled in that sense that you can actually color theme it or control it in such a way that there is color contrast on the floor or in the ceiling on the walls so that it can be much more um, usable for the user, for those needing to go around and orientate oneself, for example, in huge shopping malls. So that at the beginning, that's an illustration there for you. When I visited the uh, Universal Design um, <clears throat> shopping mall in Tokyo, I forgot what it, whether it's called Lakeside or Lake Town, but one of those. And we went there and the professor, I forgot his name, I'm sorry. And he, and it was 2009, so you have to forgive me, such a long time ago. He took us around and he said that it's important from, from a certain distance, they can actually recognize the area where the toilet are. And when you come nearer, you can see the children's toilet are separated from the adult toilet, for example. And the design of the furniture and equipment and how directional it was and, and how the floor is designed so that um, um, a blind person could know um, whether they're at the lifts or not, and stuff like that. So that's for shopping malls. Then you have schools, you have hospitals, you have other building types, housing, residential areas, parks and recreational spaces, sports facilities, other community buildings, um, community halls, you know, um, spot, uh, spots I mentioned, right? police stations, Stuff like that, you know, banks, um, dentists, um, and a lot more other building types. 
that we recognize that when we start thinking about form, follow, function, it's something that we can accept because this is for the community. If we talk about the user, take how the user can, can access the space safely and use them, yeah, then there is another discussion. There is another discussion that is relevant to this day and time, simply because of the sustainable development goals, simply because the government is creating all this legislation or regulations so that people design with empathy or design for the user so that people are not left out. Yeah, The local authority would require um, accommodation or require facilities and access features for personal disabilities so that they're included in the facilities. And architects and developers and, and architects and their clients and other consultants, namely the architect and interior designer, would need to deal with, with all these possibilities that is thrown at them. All these challenges are thrown at them in which they, they need to deal with. And do, do they have that background? Do they have the understanding of what is disability, what is independent living concept, dis disabilities evolving concept, how to include disabled people as part of the, you know, include disabled people in when they decide on how and what they want to put in the drawings. So I clearly would be on the side of form follow function rather than form and function should be one. Clearly function and the purpose of the building and how it's translate in the implement, implementation of it, in the detailed design of it can be felt that that is being prioritized. So each building type, you can consider the different innovation, taking in the spirit of Frank Lloyd Wright and how he innovated on the different, different building types, maybe what he did was more of the uh, spatial ideas, you know, the volumetric and the spatial ideas, the form, formal, and, uh, formal and spatial aspects of design. Maybe there was not so much emphasis on the detailed design as it is now, as it is being practiced now, the detailed design as something um, that should not be put onto the last minute. And how can you actually, write, you know, when you're, you don't have time and you're being rushed and pressured to deliver as an architectural consultant, when do you have time to actually look into this aspects of universal design? You'll spend extra money uh, getting a specialist in if it is in if it's insisted, the insistence by the authorities or the client, you got to get a specialist in that costs more. So can the architect actually design that in earlier? When you talk about form follows function, and we all agree that function is important and detailed design is important, can that aspect, of the design process be dealt with earlier and naturally 
and like you can, you know, you have it in your hands, you have it in the back of your hands, you have it in the back of your mind, or you can, you know, really apply it immediately when you design. You know, why should you have that line that says a drop when you don't have to? So these, and your boss will ask you, why do you don't have a drop here? But you can answer to your boss. You're part of the team, the boss. I know that, you know, it doesn't matter. It's, it's easy this way. You know, there is a way to solve in terms of the detail design. Why am I talking about function as if it is to do with detail design? Traditionally, the way we, dis- we draw out our plants uh, during Frank Lloyd Wright's time, um, using manual drawing techniques and uh, tracing paper and stuff like that, blueprints. Now we are, uh, we do use drawings still, and, but there are more and more of computer-aided technology Uh, Technology is advancing and um, making decisions and making the right decisions at the right time. What could not be solved on paper can be solved on site. So do you need a team of people that understand very much about universal design? And universal design, I would debate, is all to do with form follows function. So what does that do in education? What does that do to education uh, of the architect? What it is is that the education, architectural design studio curriculum has to be revamped, has to have the teaching or the learning that is user-oriented. There are similar things across board now, UI, UX designers, are talking a lot, a lot about designing for accessibility and and um, and disabled persons or different users and so on. They are out there discussing and trying to to improve technology to accommodate the that. <coughs> they are being critical of some designs, even more so. We are seduced by forms and <coughs> everyday design that looks good. And it's all market driven, isn't it? Uh, some people like to be joining the club, uh, you know, certain tastes, a certain club, you know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't really know how to describe that because I am not in that club, but it is something that is quite common that people would start adopting um, some cause. And the medical look of universal design is going to disappear very soon and it's more all about innovation. And I'd like to remind ourselves out there about this user, again, you, this matrix that I'm looking at more and more, the different users at one side, and then you have the uh, building components on the other side. 
And then we have the design process. And you don't want to be designing based on standardized. Um, you'd want to design special for people, right? When you design, because you don't want, as a designer, you don't want, um, you want to do something nice. You know, you want to do innovate, innovate something, or you want to have the time to, to design something. Uh, if you're really a real designer, you know, not just putting things together and presto, that's it, right? So, while understanding design with empathy, visibility concepts, uh, understanding independent living, understanding the critical dimensions and the detailed design, it will be a no-brainer for the functional aspect of architecture. It will have some form. It will have something interesting, something innovative. It will have that the design will have something that people will like uh, in it. We're not taking away the soul of it, the architectural soul, by just placing medical-like ramps and steel railings, um, stainless steel railings or something like that. We are talking about the designer taking control of the function part of the, form, uh, of the architecture and not leaving it up to chance, not leaving it up to the um, interior architecture. They could take it over, but it has to be thought out uh, earlier in the earlier stages, in planning stages and architectural design stages, obviously. So let's go back, let's go back. What happens in practice reflects what's gonna happen in education, in training or in theory. Yeah, when we talk about theory and practice, theory is very close to the concepts that philosophically or the approach that the architect take, take heed of, you know, embrace that theoretical part and practice it out. So the if one says one is practical, it does not really mean that one is also fo uh, focusing on function as well. So there we go. Building the design manifesto, part 1B. Form follows function. Today, on architecture education and why theories understanding of architecture effect what happens in practice. What we learn in theory, what we explore in architecture school affects later in practice. And that the architecture education is some sort of the lead before anything else. It's not the cart leading the horse, but the horse leading, pulling the cart, is it? Yeah. So the power of our thinking comes from our first few years dealing with architecture in architecture school. And therefore, that's important to note in building our design manifesto. Thank you very much for listening.
See you in the next podcast episode.